What is up, Fat Guy Forum listeners? This is Gourmet with a quick note before we get into this week's episode. A couple things. First, I am very excited that this week, two new things are happening. One, this episode features the updated Fat Guy Forum, Fat Guy 5 questions. Two, if you are a member of the Patreon, the after show starts now. So this week, going forward, will be the brand new Fat Guy Forum after show exclusive to Patreons. So if you are not signed up, Check out the link in the the notes of this episode. Get yourself signed up so you can get access to that extra content involving this show. I'm excited to finally getting it launched and in your hands. So let's move forward with that. That'll be exciting. And if you're not into Patreon and you still want to support the show, don't forget we have the affiliate links in the show notes for Redmond and Kettle and Fire Broths. If you use either of those codes, that helps support us keeping the show on the air as well. So that's all, my friends. Let's get into it. Hey there, everybody. Welcome to the next episode of the Fat Guy Forum. This is your host, Gourmet, and I am with you once again. Episode 190, getting close to the 200s. Got to try to plan something special for that. So if anyone has any thoughts on what you'd like to see on the 200th episode, just let me know. But anyway, we're not there yet. we got a couple weeks. So first, let's welcome today's new guest to the show. Uh, I... He reached out to me on Instagram to share some of his story, and then we we talked about bringing him on the show, and I'm excited that it's happening. His name is Shiloh Kinney. Shiloh, how are you doing today? I'm doing fine, thanks. How are you? Aside from dogs all over the neighborhood barking like crazy and a lot of landscaping going on, I'm good. It's good. a nice day in, down here in San Diego, which we discovered messaging before the show is, is, an, is the area you're from originally, so... I like I like yes. finding those little connections. That's awesome. It but I'm sure we'll a little bit of sun. Yeah, we're two days into rain season. But Ooh, it's that's Washington. I was gonna say, like we, you you know, down here we don't get much of a rain season, but where you are, certainly do, certainly do. So, but when you I'll, do, it floods. Yeah, <laughs> that that is that is the truth. That is the truth. So let's get into it, man. Let's not keep people from your. You know, I I, I was really excited to kind of dive into your story and 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 hear everything that you know that you've been through and you know the purpose that you found coming through it all so let's get to it man tell us what qualifies you to be on the fat guy forum um i I was thinking about it and i really think that my story isn't new unique to people that serve in the military because it's quite common for people to cut weight for every prt cycle or pfa cycle depending on what brand and what you call it um but I lost 140 pounds to get in the Navy. And then for the 11 years I was in the Navy, I gained and lost 30 to 60 pounds a year just to try to stay in those standards, uh, developed a pretty serious eating disorder, then found recovery from that, which looked like weight gain, and then try to get back on the, the journey to health because I didn't feel good at 350 pounds. Everything hurt. Um so I think my, my story isn't unique to some people, but it's unique to quite a few that haven't served and uh, trying to, I've weighed from 190 to 347 in the last 15 years. I've weighed over 300 pounds several times in the Navy uh, and it was just a long journey and I think it could benefit people. Well, let's go, let's go back to the beginning of it, man. Like you, that losing 140 pounds to get into the Navy, you obviously hadn't put that on the day before. Um, you know, one of the, one of the things you let me know in your pre-interview, you know, is that you were, you were obese up until age 19. Like what, what was, take us through some of that. Like, did you, 
Did it start when you were very young? Was it, do you think it was related to eating habits or relationship with food? Like that was already starting then, like take us into it. Um, so a pretty big part of my story is that I was an only child and grew up without a dad. So uh, mom, you know, we lived in low income housing. Mom worked quite a bit so that we could take care of ourselves. She did what she needed to do. So I was home alone all the time from um, probably eight or nine, you know, with neighbors checking on me and somebody making sure I'm okay. But for the most part, being alone and mom not being there, I was making all my own food choices. Um, when I was around 11, you know, we had some difficulties. I found out that uh, the person we believed to be my dad wasn't my dad. And I started emotionally eating and just steadily from 11 to 19, just a few pounds at a time. Um, it wasn't like there was one year where I gained a ton of weight. Um, it just slowly came on. Uh, I used Optifast to get into the Navy, which is uh, 800 calorie a day liquid diet. And you can choose from flavored shakes or you can do uh, soups. And I went in, um, my weight was kind of always a topic. It wasn't something that my family necessarily picked on me for, but it was always kind of like, you know, it would just be better if you got your weight under control. Um, I tried, you know, at a young age, I tried the South Beach diet. I tried keto because my grandma's friend was doing keto. So I thought I would do keto, but I never had a concept of quantity. So my idea of keto, you know, I'd have six or eight eggs and then I would break up half a brick of cream cheese and I would put that in there and that would be breakfast. And then I would still have a lunch that would be rather large. And then I'd have a big dinner because uh, I'm capable of eating a lot of food. You don't get to 350 pounds if you can't put away a lot of food. So I never really learned how much you're supposed to have because that wasn't modeled for me. Um, when mom was home, we ate quite a bit of fast food. Um, we just didn't make the healthiest choices. I remember in middle school trying out diet pills because it was just to the point where I had gone from being the chubby kid to being the fat kid. So I became very aware of that because I couldn't run the mile in middle school PE. Uh, so I tried diet pills and, you know, lost a couple pounds. And then as soon as I went off of the diet pills, then they came back. Um, and then it just kept coming on and around 15 or 16, uh, I remember talking to my grandma about weight loss and frustration and I felt like I wasn't doing anything wrong and I just wanted to not be overweight. So we went to uh, the doctor to talk about weight loss surgery. And when we went, uh, they said I was a genuine candidate, which I can't, looking back, I can't understand because knowing what I know now, you have to have several underlying health conditions or you have to have substantial previous attempts of weight loss and failure. And I didn't have that. I had no track record of trying to change my situation. Um, but the doctor was willing to do it. And they said, so these are the different surgeries you can do. Or you can try this um, medically supervised fast. So it was OptiFast. It was the same thing I used to join the Navy. Uh, but I was young and fairly immature and didn't really care about the process. So I would eat my 800 calories in shakes and then... I would go find something in the pantry and I would binge on that. And then I'd feel bad. You know, I would kind of alternate. I'd have like a 10 pound week and then a two pound week. And then I'd have a one pound gain. And it was just kind of this long train 
And over the course of a year, I lost maybe 50 pounds. Like I was still overweight, but I wasn't uh, as overweight as when I started. And then as soon as I started going back on normal food, because I didn't learn new healthy eating habits, I just went from a liquid diet plus binging to a normal diet plus binging. So the weight came back and then some. Um, And then what changed after that, around 17, I got some new friends and we just, uh, we got very active because they wanted to go do stuff. I was kind of an introvert and I still am. So I would always choose to stay home. And when I made these new friends, we would walk miles and miles a day just to go do something. We'd walk to a coffee shop to hang out with friends or we'd walk to school or we'd walk to our friend's house or I'd walk to my girlfriend's house. And these were all, you know, two to four, four or five mile walks. So I got pretty active in that time and lost a bunch of weight just from introducing activity. And then when I was uh, 18, I met my wife and she wasn't a heavy drinker. She didn't uh, smoke. She didn't party. I was smoking a pack of cigarettes a day. I drank quite heavily. Um, It was just a different lifestyle, but I immediately knew that I wanted to keep this girl around. So I stopped the day I met her. And the day I met her, we started doing all the things when you meet somebody new that you like. You spend a lot of time together at home. You go out to meals. You go to the movies. And at the movies come snacks and junk food. And at the meals, you know, you want to sit there for a long time. So you buy and you buy a uh, appetizer and then you get a, an entree and then you get a dessert. And then you end up going somewhere else like Jamba Juice. And it was just all the things that come with a new relationship. Um, that if you don't struggle with weight, isn't a big deal. Cause I think a lot of people in the beginning, it's normal to gain 10, 20 pounds in the first year. But I went from probably around 280 to 340, uh, which is when um, I decided I was going to join the Navy. I was a high school dropout and my wife had a job. She was going to graduate from college. She had a car, she had her own apartment. Um, I lived at home on a futon. I didn't have a license or a car. And she was financially supporting everything that we did for the first year that we were together. And there came a point where she was like, you know, I really like you, but this isn't, we can't do this forever. You have to do something. So I decided I was going to join the Navy because I, as a high school dropout, I thought, well, I don't know what else I have to offer. And the military is kind of, you know, they'll train you to do anything. So I'll just go see what I can do there. And I went back on OptiFast. This time I was very strict with OptiFast. I did the 800 calories a day. I started working out very heavily. Um, you were talking, I had a part-time job and I knew that weight loss was the goal. So anywhere from two to four hours in the gym a day. Like my wife, my girlfriend at the time, my current wife, she would go to work. I'd go to the gym. And then she'd come home and we would do something together. And then I'd go do cardio at night. And this whole time I wasn't doing any strength training. I wasn't even doing push-ups, which I should have been because they're pretty crucial in boot camp. Mm. Um, I was just killing myself with cardio. And every single OptiFast shake that I made, I made with a diet soda. And then I was drinking diet soda habitually throughout the day because the carbonation kept me kind of satiated and and satisfied and the taste, you know, kept me from cheating. So I was 
easily drinking a 12 pack of diet soda a day uh, between adding it to the five shakes and then just drinking them just because. So it was almost a primary source of nutrition on top of a ridiculous workout plan. Um, and if you do this correctly, after the program, they're supposed to reintroduce you to food slowly. Right. You're supposed to have, because you go to a, a therapist once a week and you sit in a group of people that are in your age group, plus or minus two years, and you talk about the experiences you're having, the emotions you're feeling, and it it's not, the therapy portion of it is pretty effective, sitting there and talking and figuring out why you make the choices you make. And then you're supposed to reintroduce food. So you start with one meal a week and then you start with a salad and a meal and then you do two meals and then you get to the point where you're doing three meals and two shakes and then you cut out shakes. But that food reintroduction looks like, you know, four to six months for some people. And I didn't do that. I hit 199 pounds and then I shipped off to boot camp, like within a couple of weeks. So my lowest weight that I remember was either 197 or 199 pounds. And I'd started at 338. Uh, so it was, it was around 140 pounds of weight loss. And then I went to boot camp. And I remember uh, they weighed us in a boot camp. And I had only been off the liquid diet for like a week. And I went from 199 to 206. And I thought, well, that's interesting. And then um, a couple weeks went by and we did a PRT. And I remember I failed the PRT because I couldn't make the run or the push-ups. And I thought, like, I'm in serious trouble here because if I can't finish this test, I'm not going to graduate boot camp. Um, and then we ended up – we got weight again for that, and I was, like, 210, 211. And then when I finished boot camp, I, I passed the PRT, and I weighed uh, 211 when I showed up to A school, which is where they teach you whatever your trade is in the military. And mine was security. So I showed up to security school at 211. And I was just so confused because I thought I picked a job where you're active for a living. And PT is a part of our everyday life. Mm -hmm. So what could I possibly be doing wrong? I mean, I remember in A school, we would get like a whole pizza for dinner or we would get Chinese food with multiple entrees or we'd go out to Mexican food or we would we would eat tons of food. And when my friends were uh, inherently skinny people, regardless of what they ate, and I was eating the same things, I was putting on weight and they weren't. So that was kind of the beginning of the eating disorder. I didn't know any of it existed until 2017. But like when I was in that school, I remember I was 211 and it scared me. So I went and bought trash bags and I started running in trash bags at the track every day with sweatpants on not thinking that about my nutrition at all. So I thought if I do this, I'll just lose weight and I'm going to eat what I want to eat. So I did that, didn't lose any weight and was just dehydrating myself and being unhealthy. Um, then I showed up to my first duty station in Kings Bay in 2000. That was, was what around November of 2007 by my first physical fitness test in the Navy uh, in 2008, around March, I was 235. And then I thought, I didn't even own a scale because I thought like I had done all the stuff I was supposed to do. The weight's not going to come back. So first PRT, I was 235 and they said, well, we're going to have to do your body fat because you're overweight. So they did the body fat and you're allowed 22% body fat to be passing. And then you can take the physical test. Well, I was right at 22. And they said, if you were any, 
if your waist was any larger or your neck was any smaller, you would fail. And I thought, well, that's not good. So I did the test. And then um, over the next year is when I started putting on more and more weight because I thought before I joined the Navy that everybody gets up at 5 a.m., everybody goes for a run, everybody does PT every day, everybody does the same thing. I just had this vision from watching movies when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. And in reality, I did security and we worked 12-hour shifts. So especially when we were on nights, I mean, sometimes we would do PT once in a two-week work cycle, and that would be going to the gym and playing basketball or playing flag football. And I'm not super athletic, so if they didn't make me play, I didn't even go in the game. So I thought that there was there was this physical expectation that I had of my job that was just completely, you know, if you do law enforcement or if you do security and you're not like a foot patrol cop, it's a pretty sedentary job. You spend a lot of time in a, in a vehicle. Um, sometimes on at entry control points, we would, you know, you'd walk around the car and you'd do that for a few hundred cars for a few hours. So that was more physical. But for the most part, it was a, it was a way more sedentary job than I expected. By my second PRT of 2008, I was up to 260 or 265 and I completely failed that one. And um, I remember thinking, well, you get three of these in two years, so I'll just get my stuff together and, you know, the next one will be fine. So um, that was when the yo-yo dieting started and I would start, I wouldn't even try to really cut weight early. Like if I knew what I know now, I would have, you know, at that second cycle in 2008, around September, I would have said, okay, track your food, eat as much as you can to lose weight, which I think is a key that a lot of people don't understand. You you should, if you can eat 3,500 calories and maintain your weight, that means you could probably eat 3,200 and lose weight. So you should eat as much as you can to lose weight. And if I had done that then, it would have been sustainable, but I would wait till six weeks before the test. And then I would start taking diuretics and I would start taking laxatives and sitting in the sauna and just doing ridiculous, ridiculous amounts of exercise, all cardio based, no strength training. So I've been in the Navy for over a year at this point, and I still haven't done any kind of, you know, I do push-ups twice a year at a test. And I wasn't doing any strength training because somebody had told me, if you do strength training, you're going to get bigger and put on weight. So you need to avoid that because you're already a big guy. You don't need to get any bigger. So I would do that, and I passed the next test in 2009, and then I failed the next test in 2009. So I passed the first one in 2009, failed the second one, and now I thought if I fail one more test in a two-year period, because that was the rule, three and two, if I failed one more test in a two-year period, I'm going to get kicked out. And this is my first three years in the Navy. Like, I can't let that happen. Um, so I just kept doing that. I cut weight for the next two PRTs. I ended up passing. And then when I left Kings Bay in um, 2010, I had passed my last PRT. And I knew I wasn't going to have to take one for six months. So I just kind of let loose. And I remember passing a PRT at 235 in Kings Bay and then checking in to mobile security in San Diego at like 290 or 300 pounds. And I remember them looking at me thinking like, how are you still in? Like your uniform barely fits. You're probably wearing the largest size they sell. You didn't check in in your dress uniform because you couldn't get it on. So like, what are you doing here? 
So I, the whole, even looking back, it was really strange because I never felt like I was part of it. It was always something I was trying to participate in, but I didn't quite fit in with. Because it's, if you're the fat guy, then you're one, you're a huge minority in the military because everybody, you get guys that, you know, they only run twice a year, but they can run a, a five minute mile and they can do a hundred pushups without trying. And then they drink Mountain Dew and eat pizza and it's no big deal. Whereas if I don't pretty closely watch what I eat and pay attention to what I put in my mouth, I can gain five pounds in a week and it's not even difficult. <clears throat> so I showed up to San Diego and I weighed around 300 pounds between 290 and 300. And I remember I had a school in between Kings Bay and San Diego. And I met this guy named Cody and Cody was a fitness guy. He was into CrossFit. And he told me that, um, what's uh, Lance Armstrong, Lance Armstrong, I guess every morning he would get these small Pete rounds at the time. It was in an article. He'd get these small Pete rounds. He'd fill them with Nutella, put a banana in there and he would eat that. And I still didn't really know anything about nutrition. So I thought if he's an athlete and he eats this to fuel his body, that's what I'm going to do. But I would have three of, I'd have three of them. And then, you know, I'd make a bad decision at the chow hall. And then, uh, I would buy something gross for dinner. And that month that I was in Mississippi, I probably put on 20 or 25 pounds because one of the three videos I posted where I first opened up about my eating disorder was two packs of Oreos, a pack of donuts, two pieces of candy and two drinks. And I would buy that. And then I would go sit in the MWR center because they had these TVs set up in front of recliners. So you could just tell them what movie you wanted to watch. And it was like being in your own theater. So that was the beginning of the binging because nobody was there. I didn't have to hide it. I lived in a barracks room with somebody else, but if I wasn't in the barracks room, he couldn't see what I was eating. And as far as I was concerned, then knew, nobody knew. And that was when the binging really started. Um, and then checking into mobile security, it was a more physical job. A lot of those guys thought that place was pretty cool. And it was, it was what they called high speed, low drag. It was kind of the cool guy stuff is much cooler than what I was doing in Kingsway. And I knew that I had to lose weight if I wanted to be able to participate in the majority of what we did. So I did um, Insanity from the Beachbody programs, and I lost about 45 pounds. I remember getting somewhere around 250, 255 pounds, um, barely past that PRT. And I'm, I don't know if it's because I sucked it in really well or if I if my neck got bigger, I don't know how I did it at 255, but I barely passed that one. Um, and then I just kind of, I thought, okay, I'm good now. And then I put on more weight and failed the next PRT. But the first one from 2008 had fallen off because now we're in 2011. Um, and then I just followed that cycle. So as soon as I passed the next two, and then as soon as I was out of that, three and two window, I failed that one. And then the second failure from the beginning of my career fell off. So I found myself on a deployment in Spain. Actually, I'm skipping part of it. The comp compulsive exercise was a huge problem. So I thought I had been reading about David Goggins and he's a Navy SEAL. And he runs 10 miles a day. And if he runs 10 miles a day, I can run every day. So I bought these barefoot shoes and I was running five miles a day and I had done it for a few months and I was still 
it was in between PT tests. So I probably weighed 270, 280 pounds. And I was running every single day and I started to get into significant pain in my leg. And I remember going to medical at work and I was telling them about it and they said, it's just shin splints. Don't worry about it. So I asked if I could keep running and they said, you probably should, you need to lose more weight. So just keep running. So I kept running. And then one day I was on top of a Connex box, like one of those uh, large shipping containers on ships. And I had, I had to jump off the Connex box, which normally wouldn't be that big of a deal. I had done it before, but this time when I did it, I felt shooting pain go all the way up my leg and into my hip and I collapsed. So I went to our medical and she said, well, I think, you know, it's shin splints. So you shouldn't have jumped off the Connex box. That was dumb. Just rest and you'll be fine. So I, I said, do I have to come to work tomorrow if I can't walk? And she said, yeah, you have to come to work tomorrow. So I didn't listen to them. And I went to the Naval hospital where they did x-rays and they found out I had stress fractures. So my wife was, she must've been eight months pregnant by this point. We found out I had stress fractures. And then the day that she went into labor was the day that I was scheduled to get a cast put on my leg. So I woke up that morning and she told me her water had broke and I was supposed to go get my cast. And she said, I don't want to go too early because I don't want to be one of those ladies that sits in the hospital bed forever and never has a kid that's painful and it's sad and I don't want to do it. And I said, well, I'm supposed to get my cast. So should I call and cancel? And she said, no, let's just go do that. So I went to try to get my cast. We checked in. I told him that my wife was in labor. He said, do you want her to go upstairs? And I said, she doesn't want to go yet. So let's just try to do this. We waited for an hour and a half or two hours. And then we had to go up to labor and delivery because she couldn't, couldn't take it anymore. Mm -hmm. So my son was born. And then when he was a couple hours old, I went down the next morning and had the cast put on. So when we took my son home, first day out of the hospital, first day at home, first day in the car, I had a cast on because I had run into broken legs. Like I didn't do, there wasn't anything extra that I did. I didn't fall. I didn't hurt myself. That jump from the Connex probably was like the kick in the butt that, that the injury needed to get real severe. But this was just from over-exercise. And that was something that I didn't know that was related to eating disorders. I thought that it was normal for guys in the military that were big to take a ton of caffeine and to take diuretics so that they peed a ton and lost weight and to sit in saunas. Like all that was normal because the couple handful of guys that I knew that were like me, they did the same thing. And um, so my son was born. I had a cast on and we were set to go on a deployment to Spain in the summer of what must have been 2012. <laughs> And I was still in a cast when we were getting ready for the deployment. So they kept asking me if I was going to be able to go. And I said, I want to go. I want to go. Cause I just didn't, I didn't have like a suck it up mentality. I just didn't want to miss the deployment. I had never been on one. I thought it sounded like an opportunity. So I kept telling them I was going to be fine and not to worry about it. So I got my cast off about two months before we went to Spain. Um, we, we went to Spain and then as soon as we got there was the first time I think I ever experienced severe anxiety in the military. So I got my barracks room and we were there for six months. I went on one mission where I had to leave the base for two months where we were off on a boat. Otherwise I never left six months in Spain. 
never left the base. I went out one time because my wife said, if you don't go out once, you're going to regret it. And my friends had just been asking me over and over and over every day. Like, if you don't go out, if you don't leave the base and we're in Spain, you're going to regret that someday. Someday you're going to think I was there for six months and I never went to see anything. I went out one night and um, we, I mean, we had fun. It was fun. Came back. um, But I was heavily emotionally eating. I mean, I would go. It was funny because in front of people, like if I went to the chow hall with friends, I would try to make what I thought were healthy choices. Because I thought, you know, if they see me eating healthy, they'll think I'm trying. And then at least, you know, they won't think I'm just a, a fat guy. Like, they'll see effort. And then I would, I'd go to the commissary and I would buy a whole pack of double stuffed Oreos, a gallon of whole milk. And then I would get two Italian sandwiches that, you know, for comparison, were like BMTs from Subway, two footlongs. And I would go back to my barracks room and that was my normal dinner. And that was... I never did the calories on that, but if I had to venture, it probably in the vicinity of 4,000 calories for a whole gallon of milk, all those Oreos and two sandwiches. Um, And that became normal. So we went on a mission and I had to go on the ship and we did security for a ship in France. And I had earned my EXW pin, which is expeditionary warfare. Just one of the pins that you can put on your uniform uh, on the left side of your chest pocket that you see in like dress uniforms. So I had earned that. And they came out and they were going to award it to us. And we were standing in the ceremony. And I remember my chief said, he said, I don't think I want Kenny in the picture. And they said, why? And he said, because he got too big. And I found out he said that. And I went over and said, what do you mean I got too big? And he said, I don't know what happened, but you've put on 20 or 25 pounds in the six weeks you've been out here. Like, what have you been doing? So I was in the picture Uniform clearly didn't fit. Uh, I got my EXW pin, which should have been a really exciting, cool day, which was really just full of shame and feeling sorry for myself because I was, I had never thought about what would happen if somebody didn't see me for two months. Because I went on, I worked with this guy all the time. I had been with this chief for over a year. This was the first time he had ever been away from me for six weeks and come back and been like, oh, this is what happens when you're away. This is what happens when you just do what you want and you're not feeling great. So um, I was over 300 pounds. I didn't weigh myself because we were on a ship. And one night we got a message that I had been approved to switch jobs in the Navy that's called cross-rating. So for years I'd been trying to get out of the security field. It just, it wasn't for me. I didn't enjoy doing it. So I got a message that I was approved to switch jobs in the Navy to electronics technician. And it was on submarines, which I thought was cool because it's what my brother-in-law did. He was an electronics technician on submarines, but I was sitting on a ship. I had already failed two PRTs in the last two years and I weighed over 300 pounds and I thought, well, this is cool, but it's not possible. They're not going to let me go to sub school regardless of what I do. So I didn't do anything to try to lose weight or to try to change my circumstances. I just thought, you know, it is what it is. They're going to fail me and I'm done. So um, we went back to San Diego and I decided if you don't ask, you're going to regret it. So I went and I talked to my command master chief, which is the highest enlisted guy. 
and I talked to our commanding officer who's in charge of everybody. And I said, I need your endorsement if I want to switch jobs. So if you guys give me your endorsement, I will lose all the weight. I will lose it as fast as I can. I'll get an excellent on my next PRT. Um, I'll, I'll blow all my previous scores out of the water. I'm a high school dropout. I don't have any college and I don't have a backup plan. So if you guys endorse me, that would seriously be setting me up for the future instead of almost guaranteeing failure. I understand failure would be my fault, but you can really help me. So they took a chance and they said, okay, if you lose the weight, we'll approve it. So for the next four, three or four months, I had to continuously talk to the submarine community and my command because the submarine community said, we're not going to take him unless he loses the weight. And my command said, well, we're not going to endorse him unless he loses the weight. So weekly or, or bi-weekly, you know, I would have to call somebody and explain to them, this is my current weight. This is my exercise plan. This is what I'm eating and I'm going to be fine. So I had to do these check-ins the whole time. And I, uh, I was doing a lot of, a lot of cardio. I had started doing very little strength training, but enough that I thought it would improve my push-up score because then my scores became important. I didn't just have to do you know, the 50 you need to pass, I wanted to get 70, 75, because I told them I was going to improve. So I started doing a little bit of strength training. And I was eating like, protein shakes and keto stuff. Um, I remember I pretty much stayed away from bread in general, and kind of found like a paleo approach. I was eating some fruit. I didn't really know what I was doing. I still didn't do nutrition research. But I knew that sweets and bread were a huge weakness. So I just cut them out and I went back to insanity and I did insanity again. And this time I lost a significant amount of weight. I got down to probably 235, 240 pounds. And I submitted a picture to Beachbody and I actually won one of their transformations. Mm. Um, I think it was the weekly or the monthly, whichever one got you 500 bucks. You get your picture sent out with your story and everybody sees it that's in the community and you get 500 bucks. And that was the first time that I got um, rewarded for losing weight prior to the military. Getting in the military, everybody was said, good job, you lost all this weight. Okay, go do your thing. And then I just kept gaining it back. And then now, um, six years later, five years later, was the first time that people had done it again. And I thought, well... I'm pretty decent at this weight loss thing. And if this is the way that I'm going to get people to say that I'm doing a good job, cause I didn't have any concept of, you know, self-worth and value was pretty low. So I just thought, well, the more I exercise, the more it's going to impress people. So I, uh, I got that thing and I remember my brother-in-law and my sister-in-law shared it on Facebook and that made a huge impression on me because they are not impressible. Like they're, they're great people. They're supportive. I love them a lot, but I've never done anything and had them say like, Hey man, you really killed it. You did great. They're just kind of chill people. So for them to say, look at my brother-in-law, he's a badass. Look at what he did. I thought I'm really doing something important now. And so I checked in to submarine school and then the binging went up a notch. Six days a week, I would do uh, like a keto or paleo 
kind of diet. It wasn't super strict. It was just uh, single ingredient foods. If it didn't, like if it wasn't a plant or an animal or maybe a protein bar, I just pretty much wouldn't eat it. Monday through Saturday, very, very strict. And then on Sundays, I would go get donuts for breakfast and then we would go out for lunch. And then I would go to the store and I'd get my normal candy and Oreos and junk food. And then we'd go out for dinner. And then I would buy chips and ice cream and eat that for dessert. And by that time, nobody else could hang. So I was just eating by myself at that point because everybody felt kind of gross from the choices we had made all day long. And I, um, I would recover. It would almost feel like I had a hangover until like Tuesday. But but I continued losing weight. So I was using beach body programs. I was doing P90X and insanity and I was doing command PT. So we'd go to work and we'd run every morning before class. And I was steadily losing weight. I showed up to sub school, uh, probably 240 pounds. And then my low weight by the end of sub school with this six days of strict dieting and then Sunday eating an excess probably of five, 5,000 calories. And that's not even, that's a little conservative. Um, by the end of sub school, I weighed 228. So I thought I've figured out the diet thing. And if I'm really strict Monday through Saturday, then I can just do what I want on Sunday. And it's no big, you know, it's a free for all. So I, um, I check into my first submarine and once I was on my submarine, we got underway and, and, you know, this is a month after sub school. It's November of 2014. We get underway. It's my first deployment on a submarine. Two weeks in, I have my first panic attack. Um, I remember I was cleaning in the engine room and I hit my head and then I just burst into tears and I couldn't, nothing about it made sense to me. I couldn't understand what was happening. I had never previously experienced it. So there was no concept of this in my mind. And I, first I went to go hide in my bunk and then I thought people are going to look for me. You can't hide in your bunk. And then if they find you like this, you have a lot of explaining to do. So then I went to medical and I remember telling our doc uh, over and over and over, I don't want to kill myself. And that was very strange because he never asked that. That wasn't, he, he never said like, do you not feel okay? He didn't know what was going on, but I just kept repeating that. Looking back, I don't know if I was trying to convince him or try to convince me, but I was not, I felt like I was falling off a building. My heart was racing. I was bawling my eyes out and I just kept telling him, I don't want to kill myself. I think that was because I thought, they were going to send me home and I didn't want to get kicked off a submarine on my first deployment in my new job. <clears throat> so he chalked it up because there was no history of this. Like I had already been in the Navy for eight years. If there was a history, I think he would have taken it to a higher level, but it was the first time he said, stay here till you calm down. I'll tell them you're going to the rack for a day and we're just going to call it a concussion. So the way he reacted made me think like this could be kind of serious. So he said, that was the plan. We're going to tell him it's a concussion. You get a day to yourself. You need to collect yourself and, and be fine the day after that. Cause it, we are on a submarine and you just have to keep working. So, um, after his reaction, I just kept having panic attacks over and over and over. And 
the, what I've learned now is every panic attack after the first one could just be worrying about having one. You could just be thinking like, what if one's coming? What if one happens in front of people? What if it happens in the chow hall? What if everyone sees it? So just constantly, what if? So they happened all the time for the next um, year and a half until I left the submarine community. But a few months in, we had come home from that deployment. We were in what's called a refit period. Uh, I was kind of maintaining my weight. I probably went from you know 228 at the end of sub school to now we're in March of 2015. I probably weighed 240. 240 is a place that if I get there, I can kind of just sit there and, and as long as I don't make poor choices, I won't gain weight, but I certainly won't lose weight. So I was just maintaining. And then I got word um, that a, a friend of mine, a good friend of mine that I was in sub school with, um, he was on a boat in dry dock locally in the same area I'm in. And he had taken his duty weapon on the pier and he had shot himself with it. Um, nobody, he didn't warn anybody. He didn't tell anybody it was coming. He just shot himself. And I found out because radio men receive message traffic. That was my job. I was an electronics technician on a submarine, but I was a radio man. So anything that happens in the submarine community goes through message traffic. It comes from a centralized area. If it's specific to your boat, it'll call you out and you'll know to read it. But if you're in port, you just kind of read everything so that you know what's going on locally. So I went into radio and I heard my chief in LPO talking about a radio, radio man that had committed suicide. And I said, who? And they told me his name. And I said, well, where is it? And they said, it's locally in the dry dock. And I said, uh, is there any way to know if he was qualified or not? And they said, why? And I said, well, because if he's not qualified, I'm pretty sure it's a guy I just went through school with. And they said, okay, we'll see if we can find out. <laughs> so it was kind of in the back of my mind for the rest of the day. But later on, I come back in and they said, yeah, he wasn't qualified. He was just out of sub school. He was probably in your class. So I had, I didn't know. I'd experienced it before that in Kings Bay several times uh, and, and in San Diego once. But it was never somebody that I knew really close. It was people that I knew through a friend of a friend or somebody else that was a master at arms like I was. They were in the community, but I didn't directly know them. Or it was a Marine when I was in Kings Bay, which is all terrible. But when it's somebody that you know that you spent a year with, it's a different level of bad. So I found out that he had committed suicide and I, I didn't know what to do. And I talked to my wife about it and um. I asked my job if I could talk to somebody or if I could get a day off or something to deal with this because I didn't understand the feelings I was having. And they said, well, no, you still have to come to work unless you put in leave. So I just went to work, but I started emotionally eating again. By the And by the time we went on our second patrol, I probably weighed 250 or 260 pounds. Uh, I remember that I had been posting quite a bit, like the running that I did before until I broke my leg. This time I was doing a thousand kettlebell swings a day. And I thought if I just do a thousand kettlebell swings a day and I just eat halfway decent, I'll get skinny and it'll be fine. All while I'm trying to deal with the, the feelings from my friend committing suicide and emotionally eating. So Second patrol, I weigh 260 pounds. Uh, we go on patrol. 
And this time, I remember the cooks noticed. They said, you're not asking for double protein and no carbs. You're just kind of eating whatever. And you're sometimes you're coming back for seconds. Is everything all right? And I said, no, I'm fine. And then they started putting out, you know, a couple of weeks in, they'll put stuff out to boost morale to try to cheer people up. So they'd put out Pop-Tarts and they'd put out full-size bags of M&Ms and Snickers and different candy to try to get people to cheer up. And I mean, it's not fun being underwater. They make it as fun as they can, but the work schedule sucks. You drill all the time. People are just unhappy. So they put this stuff out to try to cheer people up. And I remember I would go out, I'd grab like, some guys grab two of everything and they put it in the rack and they save it for, you know, a week from now or two weeks from now. I would get like four or five of everything and I'd go to my rack and I would eat it right then. And then I would do that again the next time I passed those same items. And then I would do it on my way to work, walking from birthing past the chow hall up to radio to go on watch. I would grab a pocket full of cookies or I would grab the pop tarts or I would stuff chips in my, uh, my poopy suit. That's what they call coveralls in submarines is poopy mm. suits. <laughs> Super comfortable, but you can jam all kinds of crap in there. So I would put a whole bunch of junk food in there. I would eat it on watch. I'd get off watch. I'd eat a meal, which isn't the healthiest because a lot of the stuff is fried. And then I would get candy and pop tarts and Oreos and I would take them to the rack and I just did this. And then I failed the next PRT. So I hadn't failed one at this point in two years because I had that year of sub school. I had the last one in San Diego where I'd got my stuff together. And then I had the first one in the submarine. So I had two years where I hadn't failed a PRT. And I thought this problem can't be coming back. So I failed that PRT and um, we came back. And one day I was in control and I had a panic attack in control. And this is control is kind of a centralized area in the front of the submarine where everybody comes on and off. They have one of the entrances to the boat is directly in uh, control. So any contractor or mechanic or something that needs to work on the boat passes through that area. And I was actually doing a brief for a group of people because we were doing a controlled evolution and I had a panic attack right there in front of everybody in control and then somebody said, we need to have a conversation. Um, so that was the beginning. I got uh, submarine disqualified. And I thought that was the first time that I thought I was failing in the Navy. I was already a big guy. I had been over 300 pounds several times to this point in the Navy, which I never thought would be possible. And now I've only done two deployments and I'm getting kicked out of this job. When I part of the reason I picked it is because my brother-in-law's in the community and I wanted to impress him. And I I told everybody like this is the new me, no more of the fat guy, no more of the unhealthy habits. And here I was failing another test. So <clears throat> I failed that test, and then I had that panic attack in control. They said we had to have a conversation. I went to talk to a therapist, and the therapist prescribed medication and said because of my condition and the medication that I was getting submarine disqualified. And that was gut-wrenching. That was something I did not know how to deal with, nor was I prepared to deal with it. So I went on something that's called limited duty, where they temporarily take you out of your job for a medical reason, and they kind of reassess what's going on. They have you get the treatment you need, whether it's physical or mental or, or rehabilitation. 
so I went through a limbo period and they said, what do you, what do you think you're going to do? If, if the submarine community isn't going to take you back, do you want to pick a different job in the Navy? And I said, well, I already know how to do security. I wouldn't have to go to a new A school. I wouldn't have a third job, which in my mind at this point, I was like, if you pick a third job and you fail at a third job, what does that say about you? So I said, I'll do security. And I went back to my job as a master at arms. Um, I passed the next PRT at the Naval Hospital where I was stationed prior to going to Bahrain. And Bahrain was where I chose orders to. Uh, I could have gone to San Diego, but I chose Bahrain because I thought if I was going to do 20 years and I was a master at arms, Bahrain was something I'd have to do eventually. And I would rather do it when my kids are young, like babies. My son was, my son was three and my daughter was one. And I thought this will hurt less than like, you know, 11 and 13. So I went to Bahrain and I took my old job back. I was maintaining my weight. I was somewhere around 240, which is kind of a comfortable area. I was passing PRTs. Um, everything was fine. I was working out normally. I hadn't binged in quite some time. I had done a full round of therapy and medication. And I kind of thought the problem was gone because I was, if, if I didn't have the issue before I went to submarines and then I go to submarines and I have this huge issue, well, now that I'm on submarines, the issue has gone. So I went to Bahrain with that in mind. And then uh, in April, uh, a young guy that we were in the security class with, because there's an academy when you show up, a young guy took his duty weapon in the restroom and took his life. And it was, it was when we were at work, I was armed up on the other side of the base. Uh, it was a guy that I saw regularly. We were in class together. He wasn't like a, a great friend because there was such a big age gap. I was over 30. He was 19 maybe, but he was, he was a really nice guy. We, we talked to each other. We made small talk. We were work friends. Um, so he committed suicide at work. And I remember they offered to let anybody that needed to go home, go home. But when I came up to them, I had at this point, 10 years in the Navy and I was an E5. So all the younger guys that went up, all the like first term guys, you know, three or four years or less, they all got to go home. And when I went up and was sobbing, I said, I, th I think I need to go home too. I think I need to talk to somebody. And they didn't know my history with any of the mental health stuff, with any of the panic attacks. They just knew like, you've been in for a long time and you're an E5, so we'll give you a minute, but you need to stay. And that was, that was in April of 2017. And at that point, I started binging again. And the binges were like, there was a Dunkin' Donuts on the way home. It, there's a place called American Alley that has tons of American restaurants. That's for the people that work on base so that they'll get, you know, tons of customers. So I would pass the Dunkin' Donuts and I'd get a dozen Dunkin' Donuts. And then I would pass a sushi place and I'd get some sushi. And there eventually was a Popeye's and I'd grab Popeye's or I'd grab a sandwich I would take all this stuff home and I would eat all of it. And then usually I would go back out for like a second dinner. So I went from 240 to 285 in less than two months. I don't remember the time for sure. I think it was close to six weeks. Like it was a very short time. I just know it was less than two months. And people noticed and they started talking to me and 
I had to go to medical because I had some pretty bad back issues and you get weight every time you go to medical. Um, but I, in my mind, I thought I am not going to fail another physical fitness test. So at that point, um, I started making myself vomit after I ate and I didn't know, I didn't know that that I mean, I knew what bulimia was, but I thought that can't apply to me. That's like a girl problem. That's for younger people. I'm not skinny enough to have bulimia like this. I don't have an eating disorder. I just thought I was using, I thought if I do this and I can stay in the Navy, this is something I can manage because I can still eat the food that I want to eat, but I don't have to deal with the repercussions, which was, was what I was thinking at the time. And there's a little bit of like, I don't feel in control of anything. So this is something I can control. So um, I was 285, started making myself vomit after I ate. And then I lost that same 45 pounds in like six or seven weeks. And because I had that history of going to medical for the back issues, I kept having to go get lidocaine patches for my lower back because I've had back issues consistently for a year or two at this point. And one of the times I went back, they had put me on a wait list for a nutritionist because I was 285 pounds. And one of the times I went back, I was like 238, 240. And they said, you need to get back on the scale. So I get back on the scale and they said, what's going on? And I was like, what do you mean? And they said, the last time you were here, you weighed 285 pounds and now you're like 240. That wasn't, that was less than two months ago. Like, is everything all right? So I, I was like, yeah, everything's fine. I don't, I don't know how that happened. I've been exercising more, but you know, I think everything's fine. So they actually had me go get checked for an autoimmune disease. Uh, I had to go get a colonoscopy, endoscopy. They did all these internal checks, tons of blood work. Uh, they did GI tests. They did all kinds of stuff. And they came back and they said, we can't find anything. We can't find Crohn's. We can't find celiacs. We're not sure if you don't have some kind of like they had seen inside my my gut when they did the exams. So they said, you don't have like a tapeworm or a parasite. Like we don't understand how this is possible. So that happened. And then it kind of got like they wanted to have a conversation about it, but it got let go because I was going to go home on leave to see my wife and family, my wife and kids at the halfway point. So I went home for a couple weeks, uh, weighed 240. So, and if you keep in mind, I went to Bahrain at 240 pounds. My friend committed suicide. I got up to 285 pounds in less than two months. And then I lost it in less than two months and I go home. So my family doesn't know that I've gained and lost 45 pounds since I've seen them last. Um, so I go home and it's a good, you know, it's a good vacation. It's a good trip. I have a good time spending, spending time with my family. And, uh, the last day I, I say goodbye and it was a good goodbye. Like it wasn't one of those heart wrenching goodbyes or tons of tears. Like I thought I did a pretty good job. And then I got to Bahrain and as soon as I walked into my flat, I had like a breakdown. I don't know. I, I don't know what to call it. I don't know, really know what I was experiencing. It's just, everything is not okay. It was different than a panic attack. It was a, it was a full blown freak out. And I called my wife, we talked for hours and she tried to talk me through it. And, um, I just kind of 
tried to deal. Like I remember thinking, okay, you can't sleep. Just take Benadryl. You'll fall asleep eventually. So I, I took Benadryl, fell asleep eventually. And then I had to go back to work. And this particular day when I went back to work, um, I had to train. It was a some law enforcement topic. I don't remember what it was, but I had to give a presentation to over a hundred people on what's called a training Tuesday. Every Tuesday in the law enforcement community in the Navy, for the most part, every Tuesday, they do training Tuesday. So you get law enforcement topics that are taught to maintain your annual requirement. So I was standing in front of a hundred people and I was trying to teach them whatever I was trying to teach them. And I got to a point and I started having a full blown panic attack in front of everybody. So I waited until there was kind of an acceptable pause because I can have a panic attack and nobody could be aware until the tears start. So I waited until there was a part that it made sense for me to step away. And I went over and told my supervisor, I said, I have to go talk to a chaplain right now, which is like the religious services in the military. Said, I got to go talk to a chaplain right now. So I went to the chaplain and started talking to him about my friend committing suicide and the food and the the binging and purging and how I had lost the weight. And I ended up spending six hours with this guy. And then he walked me over to mental health and said, you know, I think if I talked to him for an hour, it's really normal to go talk half hour, hour, you get something off your chest. And they say, okay, I'm glad you are here. If you need anything, come back, but they don't make you continue services. But I spent six hours with them. So he walked me to mental health and they set up my first appointment. And this, this lady that I was set up with is probably the worst therapist I've ever had. She was kind of just going through the motions, uh, but she was quick to diagnose me and then not tell me. So we had three or four appointments. Um, they moved me into my second limb due period in the Navy, which is just like the first one. They kind of temporarily medically remove you, see what you need. And then they put you back in when you're ready. And I thought this is the second one for mental health. And if they make me non-deployable, I'm going to get out. So I start freaking out even more at this point. Cause I thought the same thing I thought before I went into the submarine community, I have no training. I don't have a college degree. I don't have anything to fall back on. Like I'm screwed. If, if they kick me out, I don't know what to do. I assumed at that point that I was a 20 year career guy. So I have three appointments with her. She goes on leave. And then I, I meet probably the best therapist that I've ever experienced. He was an amazing guy. He was a social worker named Lieutenant Thomas, and he completely turned me around. But our first meeting was awful because you know, I walk into his office and he kind of covers the bases so he can catch up to where I was with the other therapist. And he says, so how are you dealing with the diagnosis? And I said, what diagnosis is that? And he said, bulimia. And I said, I, I don't have bulimia. And he said, oh, I've read through the notes. And unless these are, this is somebody else's chart, you definitely have bulimia. And I said, well, I've only been making myself throw up for the last like I don't know, three or four months. Like I can stop. It's not an eating disorder. I can stop anytime I want. And he said, no, the way you've abused diuretics, caffeine, saunas, laxatives, uh, over-exercised, you've several times in your career exercised to the point of severe injury or broken bones. He was like, that's all eating disorders. The last few months is what pushed it over the edge and gave you the bulimia diagnosis. But any kind of 
severe compensation or abuse of any of those things also falls in that bulimia category. So I said, um, I was like, well, she didn't even tell me that. You told me that. So this is the first time I'm hearing it and I don't feel good about it. So we had this interaction, which wasn't good. And then we had another couple of appointments where he really taught me. He said, how can, how can we make you feel better? Which nobody had ever asked. I thought, well, what do you mean? And he said, it's very clear if you think about the way you exercise and the way you abuse these things and some of the choices you've made, you're not comfortable unless you're uncomfortable. And I had never thought of that to that point. Um, and he's, he said, have you ever, do you agree? And I was like, well, I, I do these challenges because I like the way they make me feel. And he said, what's enjoyable about your back hurting because you've been swinging a kettlebell a thousand times a day for a month? And what's enjoyable about taking your son home in a cast with a broken leg simply because you ran until your legs broke? And I said, well, yeah, you're right. That's not really enjoyable, but I felt like I accomplished something. And he said, well, we just need to readdress your relationship with exercise and the way you treat yourself. And uh, at that point, I knew that I was probably going to get out. Um, and then he saw me until I left the island. And my last three physical fitness tests in the Navy were really, really strange because at this point, I was diagnosed with an eating disorder, so I was getting waived from all the tests because they're worried about triggering some kind of eating disorder event, so they don't want you to do anything to cut weight. They don't want you to do anything unhealthy, so you get waived from them, but you don't have to tell the people you work for why you're waived. So I leave the island, and I come back to the Naval Hospital where I know I'm going to get processed out of the Navy, and I check into security. And they say, there's a dress uniform inspection. And I said, my dress uniform doesn't fit. And they said, you have to go buy one. So I, I, I explained to them why I don't have to go buy one, even though I didn't have to. And they said, I don't, I don't care. You're active duty. You're here. As long as you're here, you're going to maintain the uniform standard. So go buy it. So instead of what I normally would have done in listening to them, I went and found my social worker, found my caseworker, told her what was going on. And she had to make a call. And then I was kind of blacklisted. Like they thought I was abusing. He's just trying to get out of stuff. He doesn't, he just wants to put on weight again. He just wants to not have to be at work. He wants to get out of things. And, and they kind of started treating me like garbage. And I got waived from those last three PRTs, but that was probably uh, thanks to Lieutenant Thomas and going to an eating disorder support recovery group when I went to the Naval Hospital here locally. It's probably the healthiest I had been in, in a very long time. And I would have passed those tests, which was funny to me because I had for years, for nine and a half years at this point, I had been thinking like, what am I going to do to make sure I can pass that test? Now I could pass the test and I didn't have to take it because of a medical condition that I didn't even know I had. So I do those or I, I don't do those, I get away from them, but I, I finished my time in the Navy. And now I think I don't, I back to the original thought I had before sub-school. I have nothing to offer. What am I going to do since I don't, I don't have a degree, I don't have a job, I, I dropped out of high school, like nobody's going to want to hire me. So I went to Costco. I worked at Costco for 
Well, three months before before we move on to kind of post Navy, uh, I do have a couple questions I want to ask, so we can kind of get into some stuff there. Is that okay? Absolutely. I thought I, I didn't know if I was going too long, but you never stopped me. No, that's okay. That's okay. So, like I was saying, I do have some questions about everything that you've been through, Shallow, and I don't want to move forward. And you know, we've gotten kind of up to twenty seventeen, and so for everyone listening, just to let you know. We are going to turn this into two episodes. This this is going to be part one of, of Shiloh's story. And then part two is going to be where he went after uh, his Navy experience, bringing us up to today. Uh, I think it's worth the fact that we have someone who has been through this experience with, you know, a lot of highs, a lot of lows and some traumatic things going on, you know, and processing all of that, you know, through your story. And I think there are people listening who can relate to a lot of what you've been through. And I want to give you, like I said to you offline, I, I want to give your story its due. So we're going to split this into two episodes so people know that. We're going to process a little bit about where we're at right now, end the episode, and then we will come back for part two. So one of the things, you know, that is standing out to me, like coming to the point where you, you were, where, where you left the Navy man was, it seemed like it really wasn't until you got the, you know, the diagnosis piece moving that there was more support, you know, and I know that things kind of got, got dark there in terms of, of some people blacklisting you in terms of thinking that you were abusing the system, but along the way, failing physical tests and seeing your Waco up and down dramatically while in the service, and were there, were there points where resource, resources were offered to you to help, or was it more okay, this is the standard you have to meet and you need to get yourself to that standard. Uh, unfortunately, it was the latter. Um, for the most part, o- obesity is definitely a problem in the military more than it has ever been in the past. But for the most part, most people are just it within the standards. Their Their lifestyle, their choices, the things that they do allow them to just not have to worry about it. So... Some people, you know, they get a little worried about the push-ups, but the weight's going to be fine. Um, whereas guys like me, I every time I lost weight rapidly, it was encouraged. Uh, one thing that I, I forgot about was when I was in Kings Bay, Georgia, after I had failed my second PRT, I actually got pulled out of my watch section temporarily because I went to Navy Medical, asked if there was anything they could do to help. And they prescribed me fentramine, which kind of, at the time, I didn't know a lot about it. Looking back now, it shocks me that they would have give, prescribed me fentramine over sending me to a nutritionist or, you know, those are all, there's signs everywhere. I could have called a nutritionist, but I just went to, you know, I just said, I have this problem. What can you do to help me? And they didn't tell me to go to a nutritionist. They told me to take this pill. So that was part of the way that I lost weight and I was in standards for the next test. Um, but every time I rapidly lost weight, with the exception of Bahrain, because it was it was large enough, it was enough weight and fast enough that it made people uncomfortable, uneasy. But prior to that, you know, it, in San Diego and in submarine school, when I was continuously dropping half a pound a week, a pound a week, and they saw me getting smaller and smaller, that was just encouraged. and. I remember sometimes getting a pat on the back because, you know, I would get up to 260, 265 in between tests 
and then I'd get to the test and be 235 and pass. And people, it was kind of like a high five at a boy, like, oh, I don't know how you do this, but good for you. When in reality, if I had just failed three straight PRTs, I don't know what my financial life would look like or what, or what would have happened for our future, but I could have, everything happens for a reason. I think I, my, I was supposed to experience my story and I think that was because I'm supposed to share my story. But if I had just failed three of PRTs and got kicked out of the Navy, I don't think I would have experienced that hardcore over-exercising and abusing all the diuretics and the caffeine and making myself throw up. I don't think that would have been a thing. So like I, it's uh, it's a difficult question to answer because most people in the military don't experience it. The faster you lose it, the better it is. No, which I think I think makes sense, and it's. I think it also, and and that that point that you just made, I think is is fascinating too. Like, what direction would your life at all have taken? You know, if that those circumstances had not occurred, and there's no really way, obviously, for us to know. We don't have that opportunity. You know, it's not one of those movies where you see a person make a choice to go left or right and and go down two different paths and you see what happens. Like, you know, we're, we're going through, you know, you went through what you went through and we're kind of riding along with you now. And I'm what, like, what was it like for you emotionally when you, you know, with Lieutenant Thomas, you know, finding out about your diagnosis and him kind of putting, putting a name to all of this behavior that had become a part of your life for the past few years? He was the first person, I remember he wrote uh, a note that I kept in my wallet that I still have in one of my boxes of important stuff. And the note, uh, it had a, a few items on it. The two that I remember are, if you need a moment, take a moment and be kind to yourself. And nobody had ever encouraged that to that point, you know, not even my family, because they didn't, I didn't tell them about the unhealthy stuff I did. They knew I had a broken leg. They didn't know why it was broken. The only person that knew was the doctor and my wife. Um, so him putting a name to it, <clears throat> but also being a positive um, male, he, he wasn't much older than me, but being a positive male authority figure because he was the one that helped me through this difficult time was kind of life-changing because I've had weird relationships with men since I didn't grow up with a dad. You know, when you grow up and you think your dad is, is one guy till you're 11 and then you find out he's not and then your your life kind of changes and you start emotional eating and, and things going forward just look totally different for you. I wasn't real good at connecting with men and Lieutenant Thomas met me at just the right time to have a pretty profound effect on my life. Um, nobody at that point had said, you just need to be nice to yourself. I mean, it was even the therapist I had before that she kind of just went through the motions. She never said, what are you doing to take care of you? How do you, at the end of the day, how do you decompress? Those are all things Lieutenant Thomas said. Lieutenant Thomas is the reason that I ended up getting a mentor that got me plugged in to a group that was really supportive in Bahrain that got me through all of this stuff. And uh, Lieutenant Thomas, if there's any chance he ever got to hear this, he definitely changed my life. Which is, you know, incredible to hear and a testament to the work that, that he, he did. And the group that you got connected with, you know, what was, what were things like for you kind of now going through this place of being conscious of 
I have an eating disorder and I need, you know, this is something that I'm, I'm paying attention to now. And to be doing that while you were still, you know, active in the military. Oh, that was, uh, that was very difficult. It was really interesting. So in, uh, 2016, when I got submarine disqualified, we had been invited to church for years at this point. People had just invited us over and over. I went when I was a kid, but I didn't. I hadn't gone since I was probably 16. So we got invited over and over, and we finally said yes. And it was in 2016, and uh, we went for six months, and I got baptized before I went to Bahrain. And then when I went to Bahrain and experienced all this hardship, then I got plugged into a men's group and my uh, mentor was in the men's group. Um, so we had our friend at work commit suicide and I stopped going to church and I stopped going to the men's group for probably, I don't know, it wasn't a lot, three Sundays, four Sundays, but it was enough that my mentor said, where are you and what are you doing? And I told him, you know, I'm just at home and I've been doing this and I've been doing that. And he said, I'm not telling you that you need to come to church because it's it's what you're supposed to do. I'm telling you that you need to come to church so that you're okay. So he had me come back to church and he had me come back to the men's group. And I had this. So my mentor told me to come back to church and go to the men's group. And he said, I'm not telling you to do it because you have to. You need to do it for you so you have support. So I got plugged into this great community and it was really good for me. And I know we're saving post-Navy for part two, but this is funny to me. Um, I came back and I had been out of the Navy for a couple months and I thought I need to find another men's group. So we had been very open and honest in Bahrain and helped each other through tons of personal stuff that, that uh, you know, I don't know, reflecting on it is pretty heavy, but it was it was a great place. And I came back from Bahrain and I, got plugged into a men's group here locally and I was used to the support I had in Bahrain. So we had a normal meeting and then at the end they asked for prayer requests. And then I remember it was my turn and everybody was sharing normal stuff, you know, finances or kids sick, you know, grandma's in the hospital, kind of normal things you hear. And it came to me and I said, uh, I'm getting separated from the Navy. I don't have a job. I was diagnosed with an eating disorder and I'm scared <laughs> and everybody paused. <laughs> like I was used to the, the support I had in Bahrain. So I was waiting for like, you know, everybody to get up and give me a hug and tell me it was going to be okay. And you could have heard a pin drop and everybody was mortified. <laughs> and I, I paused for a second and I looked around and said, I didn't read the room right. I'm sorry. <laughs> and the next guy went and it kind of, um, not in a bad way, but nobody knew what to do. They didn't know how to address it. So it was kind of like when they came to me, they're like, uh, and all the things Shiloh mentioned, can we please pray for that? Which I thought was really funny because I didn't intentionally make them that uncomfortable. But if you were there, it was pretty hilarious. Well, man, I think this is a good time for us to 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 set the break on episode one. and head into what what comes next for you with part two of this episode and i hope that everyone listening is going to kind of stay on board for that that next episode coming because things 
are going to take a change and, and head to some different places for Shiloh. And I'm excited for you to hear all about, you know, where he went after, after leaving the Navy in 2017, man, before I do close the episode properly, can you just let everyone know if they want to start following you now before they hear part two, where they can find you? Instagram would be the primary place at Operations Strong Dad. Uh, one word, no spaces, no underscores. They can also find me on TikTok. TikTok is kind of an interesting place, and I don't know how much it's growing. Interaction is different, but Instagram would definitely be the primary place. And I'd love to talk to anybody that has any questions. And what are your handles on those platforms? Operation Strong Dead, one okay. word. Yep, there we go. So I'm going to put that in the show notes for this episode. And as I said, this is just part one with Shiloh. Part two will be coming up next for y'all. So do not miss that. Don't forget, my friends, you can always connect with me on Instagram as well at Gourmet Goes Keto. On Twitter, the same. You can email the show at thefatguyforum at gmail.com. And then once you do all of that good stuff and make sure you're following Shiloh, going out there, do something to amaze yourself today because you are the most amazing people I know. Then catch us on the next episode of the Fat Guy Forum. Thank you.